Thank you for joining us in the copy room, where you get to listen in on thoughtful, vulnerable, and honest conversations among educators who are as fiercely devoted to this profession as you are. My aim is to serve you well, nourishing your teacher's soul so that you can move through your week with just a bit more to offer our kids than you had before you listened. You're working so hard to take care of our kids. My intention for this podcast, ultimately, is to take care of you. I want to thank Dirt Path Publishing, a small independent publishing house dedicated to publishing works for social good, for continuing to support the production of this podcast. With editing and coaching services for writers, these folks know how to have the hard conversations in service to your best work, and they know how to do it with love. Dirt Path Publishing is also proud to announce the release of my new book, Nothing's Missing, A Year of Reckoning, Release, and Remembering Who I Am, written for anyone struggling to release the burdens of perfectionism and the tyranny of shoulds. For more information, go to NicoleLuciani.com. In the meantime, and always, welcome to the copy room. Chris and Lynn Deere are a duo to end all duos. Son and mother, collectively their teaching career spans almost 60 years. With Italian roots similar to mine, these two are my people. Passionate, emotional, loving, and fiercely devoted to our kids. Miss Deere was a high school history teacher who, upon retiring, missed teaching so much that she's gone back to teach elementary school. Chris knew nothing different then walking down the grocery aisles with his mother and being stopped several times by her former students to tell her how much they loved and appreciated her. With that as the backdrop, one would think teaching would be a top choice for young Chris. But he also witnessed firsthand just how hard Miss Deer worked every single day of his life. And while passionate about working in a job that served others, teaching was not his first choice. That said, In this episode, you'll hear how it became his best choice. This conversation is one a mother dreams of, and I found myself hoping upon hope, when my sons are grown, we can sit together and talk about our work and each other with the devotion that these two do. Their conversation reminds us that there's no such thing as other people's children, and that we belong to one another. Welcome, and um, let me introduce uh, you, Chris, and then you can introduce your mom, perhaps. Um, Listeners, this is my friend Chris, who I had the great fortune to coach for two years through a very special program called the Hollyhock Fellowship at Stanford University when when I was working there. And Chris came to us as a fellow and um, was a firebrand from from Go, and uh, we loved having him in our cohort. He's gone on to um, mentor others and uh, moved all the way up the ranks to become Louisiana Teacher of the Year, which is such an extraordinary extraordinary, extraordinary opportunity. And I'm sure we'll talk a little bit about that. So um, Chris is still teaching history in high school in your New Orleans proper now, aren't you? Yes, New Orleans proper. Right. Great, great. Well, welcome. And I'm going to have you introduce your mom and then we'll get started. All right. Thanks so much for having us, Nicole. And this is my mom, Lynn Deere. She's been teaching. This is your 45th or 46th year. 45th. 45th year, mm-hmm. and so you've been teaching since 1975, and your tenure began 
on Guam, right? Yes, island of Guam. All right, and then my mom actually retired from teaching after teaching 40 years in the public school system and then went back into the profession because you couldn't couldn't stay away from teaching, right? So now you teach at <laughs> a, you teach first grade in Chalmette, Louisiana. Oh my gosh. That's so wonderful. Welcome. I'm so glad you're here. So this season is um, called Paying It Forward, and it's about honoring the teachers who inspired us to be teachers. So um, we're going to hear the story, I'm sure, of why you brought your mom with you, Chris. Um, but let's just start with some a little bit of backstory. Um, uh, and either of you can begin, whichever whoever would like to begin. Um, but how you came to this work, um, maybe experience growing up that gave you a particular lens on why you wanted to be a teacher, what kind of teacher you wanted to be, um, and and how how maybe it informed you even to think about teaching to this day. So, Mrs. Dearless, maybe let's start with you if you don't mind. Well, I'm actually the granddaughter of Sicilian immigrants. My mom did not know a word of English until she went to first grade, because in those days they didn't have kindergarten, so mm -hmm. she learned English that way. Um, both my mom and dad. I grew up in a two-parent household. My mom was an avid, avid reader. Even though she only had a high school education, she would always had a book. I'd say, Mom, what are you reading today? And she brought me to all corners of the world. Mm -hmm. So while most of my friends were reading Nancy Drew when they were nine or 10, I was reading Agatha Christie. So I was always dreaming of going to places like England. One of my favorite books when I was in fourth grade, I remember was called The Road to Agra. And it's about two students, um, two children in India making a trip to see the Taj Mahal. And it just, mm. it just pushed my love of, of traveling and cultures. Um, one of the greatest presents I got as, as a young child was a world globe. And I would just come home and spin it and look at all the countries. But I was very blessed that I did have a mother, as I told you, that loved to read, encouraged me to read. I had a library around the corner. We didn't have air conditioning growing up. So mm -hmm. I spent a lot of time um, at the library reading numerous books. And when I was in fourth grade and we were studying the American Revolution, that was like my aha moment. I thought these people were so, so brave. I remember Nathan Hale, I have one life to give to my country, who by the way was a school teacher. And I said, I really need to know more about these people. And that's when I made up my mind to become a teacher. Um, and with the inspiration of my mom, always encouraging me and, and reading, read, 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 become a very, very avid reader. Because I think so much of teaching is telling stories, especially as a, a history teacher. So um, had a private school education, K through eighth, and went to public high school, um, public colleges from then on out. That's a, that's a great story. I didn't know grandma influenced you in such a, I know she influenced you, but that, that she kind of kick-started that road to, to teaching. That's, yeah, that's. And when you think around about, when you think about the turnaround, like I said, her parents basically spoke Sicilian, well, Italian, um, around them, and they had to learn English, she and her siblings on their own at school. And we're probably, I'm going to, go on a limb, probably being made fun of by a lot of the other kids yeah, yeah. because of the yeah. accents and maybe the, the poor clothes that they wore, mm -hmm. the differences. Mm -hmm. um, even though in New Orleans we did have a large Sicilian population, we, uh, they were still going to be around people that would have been different than, than they were. Mm -hmm. so I, was very, I really credit my mom a lot with my education. I really do, just the drive. And then I said, what type of job can you have 
where you can read, 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 and share those reading experiences because we all know everyone loves a good story. Mm -hmm. Well, you probably grew up on nursery rhymes, um, fairy tales mm -hmm. that had happy endings. Didn't you love stories as three-year-olds? I mean, we, we all love stories and sharing. Mm -hmm. So I was so glad I got an opportunity to share so many of my experiences and stories and knowledge with students. And even today, I'm still doing it. I love that. I love that. I relate to that so deeply because my grandparents on both sides are Italian. That's what I think Chris mm -hmm. has shared with you. In those days, you didn't, you know, there was no opportunity to preserve your language in school. Um, and so my generation has no Italian. And mm -hmm. even my mom's has very little because the idea was, well, you're an American now, mm -hmm. right? You, you don't need to speak the language anymore. And how heartbreaking for them to know that that had to be the way if they were good children were going to survive in this country and the stories my both of my grandfathers were dark-skinned italian men and, and the stories that they tell about um you know the the racism they were exposed to and and they both chose to marry women and fell in love i'm sure <laughs> and marry women who were not italian right. um as almost like a ticket out right and, and it's just this fascinating um deeply painful story and I'm so grateful that you and I and Chris have held on to our heritage as much as we can so we can tell the ones who come after that the stories like that you just told about your mother it's lovely thank you for sharing that mm -hmm. so Chris growing up with this mom um I'm gonna guess you did a lot of reading at your house when you were little I did do a lot of reading and, and to go back to your point about Italians and the way that they uh, were discriminated against. One thing that I do remember grandma telling me and your mom is she said, if anyone makes fun of you at school for being Italian, let me know. But by this time it was like the 90s and early 2000s mm -hmm. and no one was really making fun of me for, you know, that ancestry. But mm -hmm. in her mind, she was was very, uh, she thought that, that that would still happen. But I did grow up with a lot of reading and you read a lot of stories to me for mm -hmm. sure. But my my saga into teaching is a lot different because you knew you wanted to be a teacher by fourth grade. I actually did not want to be a teacher growing up, interestingly mm -hmm. enough, because mm -hmm. I remember seeing how hard my mom worked all the time. You put in a lot of time and effort and it was really challenging. So I remember wanting to do other things like uh, I wanted to go to law school in college and that was my, my big dream was to go to law school. but. My senior year of college, I was not happy with my constitutional law classes because it was very <laughs> focused on the law, the legal aspect, and not so much the human aspect of it. Mm. And I don't know if you remember this, but I called you and I was not happy with it. And you said, why don't you come just observe me teaching and, and start to look into the teacher profession just to, to, to see. And then I did. I remember watching you and other teachers from the other perspective and then I said, and I saw the, the inspiration that, that y'all had and, and the way that you managed and navigated classrooms and how students were, you know, super into their, uh, the lessons. So I decided to, to give it a go. And once I graduated, I started teaching at age 21 and I, I never looked back. Mm -hmm. So it's not as clear cut, but that's, that's how I got into teaching. And I'm going to share something, and he forgot that he always shares with me. Uh-oh. He would say when we go to the supermarket or just anywhere, 
how oh, students yeah. would come up to me and, and, oh, Miss Dia this, Miss Dia that. And, and he said he just thought that was normal. And then he realized mm. one day when he was looking around, not all the parents pushing a, the buggy kids were coming out the woodwork talking to him. Yeah, you I just, telling me that story? Yeah, I just thought as a kid that anytime you go a place, you know, go places with your mom, whether it's to yeah. get groceries or whatnot, that people are going to approach by the dozens every single time. And so I just thought of as, an excursion to the grocery store as a, uh, as you know, going to be at least a two-hour. Uh, <laughs> so I was just always ready for people to come up to you, and they didn't just come up to you, but they said like the most intense, amazing, life-changing things. You're the reason I went to college. You're the reason I did this, and and I said, you know, that's just what moms do. They're superheroes or something. And then as I yeah. got older, probably around middle school. I realized that it was uh, it was unique to be in the son of a teacher that wasn't an experience everyone had. So I did see that inspiration from a very young age, for sure. Mm, that's lovely. That's lovely. Tell me about your relationship um, as parent and child, and how that also probably I would imagine reflects teacher and student, maybe both directions. I would imagine, um, and and what you've learned from one another about the profession along the way. You well, want to go first? Sure. Yeah. Well, one thing when I started teaching, my my mom got together this huge, uh, you know, packet almost, and she called it like the teacher's Bible. And it was all these tips and tricks and strategies and, wow. uh, yeah, and, and lessons and, and experiences. And so I still have that, by the way. And mm -hmm. so I, I had a lot to learn from from the start, for sure. I was just out of college. I was ready to save the world. But then, you know, once you get into that first day of the classroom, you're humbled pretty quickly as a first year teacher. So <laughs> I would say that the teaching aspect on how to manage a classroom and actually be an adult in the classroom, a lot of that came from my mom. So I would read different books and whatnot. And then, but that, that would never, that could never replace the things that, that you taught me and told me along the journey. So anytime I had a rough day or anytime I was experiencing problems at school or struggling to be a teacher, because there were a lot of struggles. We all oh, still have struggles, but especially that first year, you know, I would pick up the phone and call my mom and she would say, well, this is what you do. Well, this is what you need to say. This is what you oh, So, so I would say just, you know, having a mentor throughout all of these years, even today, I still call and talk about different situations and, and I get uh, feedback that that only comes with with decades of experience so yeah. I would say I would say that I don't know what I taught you or any lessons <laughs> but that's definitely what I gained well it's so neat we are generation apart um, mm -hmm. it's so neat seeing the whole field of education now through his eyes mm -hmm. this is beginning my sixth decade when I was teaching we were still running the um, eight millimeter projection reels through one of my experiences. <laughs> I must have been having an off day. And I was showing, I never forget, I was showing something on the Mississippi River to Louisiana history. One of my students says, Miss D, I don't know if you know this, but your film's on the floor. I forgot to put the take up reel. <laughs> so here I am running the projector backwards to try to get it on. But oh, he's my, he's my, I mean, aside, he's really my technological guru because that's what we started with. And then I had to go to, uh, then we had to, um, the VCRs and then yeah. we had A tracks <laughs> and then we went to the um, CDs and we had DVDs and then oh my God computers and laptops the internet right oh, yes 
<laughs> it was like the whole, this whole new world that I know. we were not right. So even today, Chris, I can't do this. Chris, I can't do that. Um, also through the lens, because I hope I instill love of traveling. And he loves, loves, loves to travel. And, and you know, traveling just broadens you. And, and, and then we, we learn to see that that even though it might be a different culture, we're basically all on the same page as human beings. And I just love the way he gets to share his travels with me and um, talk about that. And um, he wrote a book, and which I really admire him for. I'm not at that stage yet. So when I call him and say, you know, this happened, you know, how would you maybe handle it? So I get a lot of feedback from him also. And he sees it from my generation. I see it from him, his generation. So it's really good that we are a generation apart in some ways that we can view things, say, probably the same problem, but through different lenses until we come to agreement. But we love students, and that's, that's what keeps, that's the glue. That's the glue. Right. And whenever he asks me for my opinion or I ask him, it's always with a student in mind. Never us. Mm. Never us. Mm. You know, we might have a bad day, but, yeah. you know, and I hate to sound cliche, but really tomorrow is another day. That Indeed. student might have a better day. We're going to get a better night's sleep. Our cold might go away, uh, uh, mm -hmm. you know, and, that, and that's what all teachers have to remember. Tomorrow mm -hmm. is going to be a better day. You're not mm -hmm. going to have great days like your students. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I yeah. think. The, go ahead. Oh, I, was, I was just saying when you've been teaching for so long, I think one thing that you've always done throughout all those years and the technological changes and the cultural shifts was keeping students at the center. So I might have mm -hmm. a lot of questions about mm -hmm. curriculum or changes here and there. And I think that's one thing that I took mm -hmm. from, from you is mm -hmm. to ensure students remain at the, at the mm -hmm. center of, of education. See, we didn't even have curriculum guides a long, long time ago. The textbook mm -hmm. was our guide. And I love the way now you have a curriculum where you can draw internet sources, mm -hmm. this book, kids are reading outside of, of the textbook. I really love that that aspect of it now that we didn't have in the early days of teaching that that now I can do that one of my greatest things when I was teaching um, a college level class in high school is that I could draw it's not okay well here's a textbook um, you know and this is basically what we're going to do but then you're going to go do your own research you're going to come up with your own conclusions and I love that part of technology and that's why Chris is my go-to person I say how can I do this how can I access that you know what would be good about? Mm. so I really think we complement each other yeah, and I will say, as, as COVID, during that COVID shift, you did really well with that transition to education, I would say, uh, because sometimes you were a little resistant to certain mm -hmm. educational mm -hmm. changes, but then, again, when COVID happened and we, mm -hmm. need, we had no choice, mm -hmm. you definitely stepped up and learned how to Zoom. Interestingly right. enough, my first experience with Zoom was actually with Nicole through the mm -hmm. program she mentioned, so that's how mm -hmm. I learned Zoom, mm -hmm. so it's, it kind of comes full circle sometimes, but I would say, in terms of technology, you especially during COVID, have, have kept up with I'm it. I'm trying. Students. Well, you we have no choice. You have to learn. That's right. That's I'm right. Trying. That's right. You know, I, I want to just compliment you uh, I, as a mother. I'm a mother of two sons mm -hmm. myself, and this is, I'm witnessing like the dream right now with two yes. of you talking about teaching and having that connection together. Um, mm -hmm. It just like I could weep. I, it's so lovely. Um, but I, I want to compliment you specifically because when Chris came to us at Hollyhock, one of the first conversations he had, he and I had was around linguistic justice and honoring the voices of our kids and the mm -hmm. languages of our kids who come to our class. And he taught me all different things about Louisiana that I did not know all of the dialects and all of the things. Mm -hmm. and, 
And, um, and I think, you know, your focus on reading, your focus on travel, your focus on children and teaching, it just brought him to this place of recognizing another's humanity in a way that um, was beyond his years, right? Mm-hmm. And I, I'm, I'm older, certainly, than Chris is, because when I started teaching, the internet did not exist. So let me say that. <laughs> it's a whole new world. <laughs> Um, But I also find him to be an extraordinary colleague in the things that he opens others up to. So good job, Mom. That's why he's so perfect for the teaching profession. I mean, we really really need more like him. Teaching to me is a calling. It -hmm. it shouldn't just be a job. It's a career. Mm -hmm. And and I just, I, I get, you know, like, would you go to a dentist that didn't take one dental class? You know, right, you right. A doctor that, oh, I'm going to cut you open, but hey, you know, I have a degree in accounting. You know, you say, well, let's, talk, let's, let's kind of talk about this, you know. Yes, indeed. <laughs> so uh, let's talk about the lessons you've had to learn as teachers, because to me, the, the ultimate goal of teaching is to be a learner, right? Mm-hmm. And so I'm wondering when you think back, and maybe it was in those first years that are so hard. I mean, I, I don't know about you, but every day I wanted to quit, every single day. Um, or maybe it was recent. <laughs> um, maybe it was a recent lesson you've mm-hmm. had to learn. But w- mm-hmm. what do you feel like the hardest lesson you've had to learn as a teacher is? Chris? Yeah, so I would say just how hard it was because my first year teaching, I did want to quit. I did want to stop. I remember I was super emotional after what I felt like was a bad day of teaching. I was teaching uh, middle school and it was probably the, it was the biggest challenge of my life. No doubt about it was trying to teach during my first year. So I would say the hardest lesson I learned was just how challenging of a profession it is. Like I said, it is really a calling. And if you don't have that that drive to keep going, to persevere, to get better, and to, to continue to put in the work and the effort for the students, it's gonna be a, it's gonna be a, it's not gonna be a good time as a teacher. I don't know how else to say mm-hmm. it. And I would say also um, that we're not in it alone, that we should continually seek help and assistance from others. Mm -hmm. And that's one thing that I think when I got into the teaching profession, I didn't realize just how collaborative of a profession Mm -hmm. it was, whether it's sharing resources or uh, getting advice or getting tips Mm -hmm. from other people or just having a mentor or getting people to come observe your class. Mm -hmm. So I would say the difficulty is something I didn't expect. But with that being said, not to be too pessimistic, the better you get at teaching, the Mm -hmm. more uh, your students appreciate and value value you and then the more results you see so yeah. it does it does pay off and there's no reward better than a good day of teaching i think one of the first things that really spooks young teachers is discipline in the class mm-hmm. because you might have the knowledge you might have a degree in biochemistry mm-hmm. but if you can't come in and you know kind of monitor the situation and my philosophy has always been, I teach every class, even now, as if my own three children are sitting in that class. Sorry. Everyone deserves a quality education. And uh, I think everybody before getting thrust into an educational situation should have some background on classroom, and not just six weeks, some background yeah. on classroom management to help mm-hmm. them out. Um, mm-hmm. It's nice to want to save the world, and um, I was kind of nice, and I think most young teachers go into that. Yeah, I but one one student at a time, one student mm-hmm. at a time, 
Um, it's not in, it's not impossible, but I think after 45 years of teaching, you know you're not going to reach everybody. And yes, it's heartbreaking. It's okay. definitely heartbreaking. I've lost a lot of students in various ways to drugs and suicide. I'm not happy. But then on a plus side, I have so many. Um, I taught Chris. Chris was in my class. I had him for civics and world history. So many of my oh students. Oh, my goodness. Oh, yeah. So many of my students have garnered these wonderful accomplishments. So you always have the bright side of um, of former students coming up, you know, Miss Dia this and Miss Dia that. Now, I'm sure I have a few students like everybody else. They're not fans, um, mm -hmm. but everybody, just like they're unique, we're unique. They might not mm -hmm. like our personality. So mm -hmm. you just have to adjust that, and you have to take an accountability when you go into class. Mm -hmm. Chris and I were talking. In middle school and high school, you have 180 personalities a day. Yes, yes. Nicole, yes. do you know of any profession when anybody comes into 180 different personalities a day? No. 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 A doctor mm -hmm. might see 15 patients. A nurse, yes. maybe six or seven. A lawyer, maybe one case the whole day. Yeah. So yes. we're dealing with unique personalities, things that may have gone wrong. We might be having a bad day. It takes a special, special person to get into that class and try to take all of that into account mm -hmm. that this one's having a bad day, this one's, but this one's here for a good day. You know, they really mm -hmm. want to learn and try to blend it all together where mm -hmm. it comes out to a wholesome situation and, and good for all involved, including the teachers. Including the teachers, agreed, totally. Mm -hmm. What do you think that is, Ms. Deere, that, that, that allows people, what is the disposition that allows teachers to be able to learn how to do that? Do you have a sense? Um, well, first of all, like I said, it's a calling. Mm -hmm. It has to be intrinsic. Experience also. I mean, mm -hmm. I'm a lot different. Now, granted, my first year, I was not run off. I went in, mm -hmm. I kind of knew what I was going to do. I was an education major. This is how I'm going to handle that. God blessed me with a big mouth and a wild <laughs> If you notice, you know. And um, I was not chased off. My first four years of teaching, I just, I, I totally loved it. I was not put off by it. But, but it has to come with inside of you also. You have to love what you're doing. Now, have I had bad days? Have Chris had bad days? I mean, have I had mornings where I want to wake up and say, I can't do it because you have a challenging child, but yet you put your clothes on, you go in because you know you can make a difference. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's almost like um, a tenacity, a mm -hmm. perseverance. Yes. Um, and also confidence, don't you think? Like you said, you weren't run off those first few years. Right, you I think that you, you have are. to exude confidence. If you yeah. go in and, you know, kids, kids, you know, even me, I can go in a classroom and size up that classroom within five minutes. Yes. Yeah. I, I, mean, <laughs> I, can, I can tell what's going on. I'm not going any further than that, but I think from my experience, I can tell, yeah, and you have to, and kids know, kids know that you're there, you're mean business, and you have their best interests at heart, and you want them to learn. You mm -hmm. want them to learn. You're going to go in, this is what we're going to discuss today, mm -hmm. um, you know, and you give your lesson, do we have any import? Or what? And that's what they want. Students mm -hmm. really do want structure. And I agree. Pretty much the same thing over and over. You coming in, I'd have my, my lights on, I'd have my music going, you know, they walked in. I had my, my smart board going with all my lessons, and, and, and they just look forward to that. In yeah. fact, I've actually had students say, oh, God, Ms. Dale, I was so glad when you came back. Like, I was sick like two or three days. Oh, I'm so glad you're back, you know, because that's what <laughs> you just didn't have it. <laughs> How do you think teaching has strengthened other parts of your life? Oh, my God. I, just like I said, just seeing students accomplish things, 
um, knowing that I may have made a difference. You see, for years, I, it, it didn't register on me that maybe I, I was making a difference until basically things like Facebook came out mm. and students that I hadn't thought of in like 40 years were coming on and, oh, we learned so much from Ms. Dare. She was the only one that really cared. She's the only one that prepared, you know, prepared a quality lesson. She gave 100%. She was there for us. Because that's the first day I'll tell my kids, I'm there for you. You know, make an appointment mm -hmm. with me or come see me if you need to me. I'll be there for you. And um, that is really the rewarding part of, and I think that's why I stuck it out for so long. I really wouldn't want to do anything else. I, yes. And I, I just want to say something. I'm really upset about whoever came up with this little cliche, cliche, I'm sorry, those who can't do teach. Mm -hmm. I really would like to punch them out sorry. <laughs> because I mean you think about anything Nicole every person even a brain surgeon even yes. the president of the United States owes it to a teacher they yeah. learn to read from a teacher mm -hmm. so I don't care what you do in life that teacher was there from first grade on teaching you or kindergarten with the vowels teaching you um how to read so i don't know who said that and i totally disagree because i think if anything we have one of the most challenging jobs on planet earth i'm sorry yes. i still stand yes. by that Good i challenge you. anybody to go into class not a day yeah. not an hour not a week but a year uh -huh. lesson planning discipline faculty meetings running off papers hole punching it's, it's like I tell people, it's a production. When you go see a, broad, yes. a Broadway play and the curtain goes up, did they just show up an hour before and somebody started selling <laughs> costumes and putting makeup on? No. They were in rehearsal for like six months, maybe yes. a year. And that's how teaching is. And I'm just going to share this. I've always been suspicious of teachers that have a very clear desk. I'm just, I'm just like, <laughs> it's like, it's like, oh my, yeah, you should be up walking around that class hey what's going on you know how you doing yeah i see i see you wrote that for an answer you know you shouldn't be just like at that desk you should be hands-on so when i go i say oh my god that, that desk is a... i'm not saying that there are very uncluttered people out there and that's great i'm just me you know you yes. should be spending all the time at, at your desk I just to share that with you. that's a challenge chris what uh, what about you how is how has teaching strengthened you in different ways Let's see. Well, first, I agree that cliche is, is an awful cliche and problematic in so many ways mm -hmm. that you've touched on, no doubt about it. Uh, I would say in terms of relationship building, as a teacher, you have to learn how to build and foster relationships over an extended period of time. And sometimes you don't have, you know, years to do it. I used to just have a semester to mm -hmm. really get to know uh, some students. So I think teaching also helped me with building um, empathy with students who have had very different experiences than I have had in this country. So I've learned a lot from, uh, I would say, yeah, building relationships is probably what I, what I gathered the most from teaching. In terms of, that's a skill that I had to develop as a teacher that now extends to outside the classroom. So if I could pinpoint anything, that's probably the biggest life lesson that I've, that I've gathered from teaching. Mm-hmm. And t let's just um, kind of go on a little quick tangent to have you tell us about this whole run you've had as State Teacher of the Year, which I'm sure makes mom <laughs> so proud. And, and I know you and I would agree that there's extraordinary teachers in every school, in every corner of your state. Mm -hmm. um, and you, uh, for many reasons, you, you're like your mom said, you're an author. I know for sure because I've spent two years watching you teach that you're an extraordinary teacher. 
and that you, uh, the connections you make with kids through soccer or going to other games or whatever, um, you're a gift for sure. And I, and I wonder how this experience of being recognized as such has maybe changed perspective or offered you different things to think about because you're really receiving the recognition that um, 99.9% of our friends don't receive. And um, mm -hmm. of course you deserve it. I just wonder, it's so unique, how, how maybe things have shifted for you, if they have. It's shifted tremendously in, in many ways, mostly positive, some negative, but uh, mostly positive. And I would say probably the biggest shift is now people listen to what I have to say more as if I'm more of an authority as opposed to maybe three or four years ago when essentially my perspective has, you know, the student-centered perspective has, has remained relatively the same. But it also offered up a lot of opportunities in terms of uh, representing my state. And as you said, so many teachers deserve this. I used to tell people... I'm not even the best teacher in my hallway, and mm. I'm mm. I'm chosen as someone to represent Louisiana, not as this you know the best teacher or anything like that. At least in Louisiana, that's not how the process works. But one opportunity it did give me was to carry on the legacies of my mom and to put you at the forefront in so many conversations because you're you're really humble in many ways. You rarely do interviews. I mean, this is one of the first ones you've accepted. But people need to know your story. They need to know the story of also my students. I have the opportunity to tell their story to multiple mm -hmm. people as well. So in terms of change, that's probably the biggest change is being able to, to carry on the stories and narratives of so many students and so many people. Because at the end of the day, that's, that's why we do the job, right? We don't do mm -hmm. it for, uh, we definitely don't do it for, for money, money yeah. but we, we didn't get in it also for the rewards or accolades or anything of that nature. So to have that opportunity has been a, a really unique experience. Uh, another aspect of that experience that was positive is the ability to tell my students' stories on a large scale. I mean, it's one of those things that we all have students that we care and we advocate for, but to be able to do that at a, at a much you know, uh, impactful level than just in the classroom was a, a really unique experience. So. In terms of uh, receiving that accolade, because again, we don't get into teaching for the money. We don't get in. I've never even imagined getting an accolade of, of, of that nature. So it gives you the opportunity to, to advocate in ways that I previously just didn't have access to, to advocate. Uh, so mm. I would say that was probably the biggest change. And I think a lot of what I've earned has to do with um, you as a coach. You helped me tremendously through those well, that's good. Yeah, you gave a lot of really good, honest feedback, and I can I still look at some of those the early uh, videos of my teaching before Hollyhock or the ones where I was just getting into it, and then two years down the road, and it's a significant change. I got out of my comfort zone a lot because it's kind of uh, it can be uncomfortable to have kids in groups for such a long mm -hmm. period of time as a teacher, but learning how to manage mm -hmm. that has has been great, and also obviously. Uh, I would have absolutely no accolade or no recognition and probably wouldn't be a teacher if it wasn't for my mom. So He, he really always gives well, me credit. I'm very humble by it, but well, he really you, does. I mean, You told me that I should look into, the, to, into teaching. Because right? you, have, you have all the assets needed to I, be a teacher. I yes. appreciate that. And that's I why I, I try to give back because mm. if it wasn't for you, I don't know. I probably mm. 
I don't know what I'd be doing. Maybe I would have found teaching a very different, mm-hmm. in a different way, a different route. I don't mm-hmm. know. So, mm-hmm. so yeah, it, it gives me the opportunity again to elevate my personal stories, but also my students' stories, and and represent mm-hmm. Louisiana and give back to the people who who have helped me uh, get to where I am. That's great. That's great. Yes, I always appreciated that you received my feedback. And then, Mr. when he told me he was raised by a strong Italian woman, it all made sense. Yeah, very emotional. <laughs> yes, we are. Oh, see, all the, so I, I, he says I'm very intense. <laughs> yes, yeah. well, intense. we are. That's a Mediterranean background. Uh (laughs) That's right, right. So why not just own that, right? I make no apologies. That's right. Good, (laughs) good. So along those lines, I think about teaching and, um, you know, the three of us obviously love this work so much. And we can also hold, because my grandmother used to tell me, you can hold two truths because you have two hands. One is that we love this work. The other is our schools uh, are not serving our kids properly, by and large. Um, and not all kids. Some kids are served beautifully, right? And some kids are perpetually and predictably underserved. So when we think about how we're going to make schools the promise that we say they are, um, we all have to bring our unique gift right, to this, to this profession. And there's this song that I love that if, uh, by the Indigo Girls that says, if you have a care in the world, you have a gift to give. And I wonder what have, if you all have thought about what your unique gift is, right? We all have a piece. It's like a puzzle, right? And if we can all just put our puzzle pieces down and fit them together, then we're going to really be able to make some change in our in our in our schools. So I wonder if you've thought about what your unique piece is or your your gifts, something that you love so much that it's become your gift. Uh, you you go first with this one. I feel well, like I, I'm interested I, to hear what you have to say. I just have a passion for knowledge. I have a passion mm-hmm. to pass knowledge on. Um, mm-hmm. I'm really fabulous. I mean flabbergasted because that really is a deep question. Um, you have to be animated as a teacher. You, ha- you have to have the personality mm-hmm. to be a teacher. Um, mm-hmm. you, you were quoting your quote. My favorite quote was the one from um, Teddy Roosevelt. Um, uh, Students don't care how much you know, but they know until they know how much you care. And that has always care. been mm-hmm. my philosophy. Um, you have to make your, your classroom a warm, nurturing environment, no matter where they're coming from, no matter what country they're coming from, no matter what culture. You need to make everybody feel welcome um, mm-hmm. to your classroom, that, that nobody's an outsider. Everyone is an insider. Um, mm-hmm. Just sharing the love that you have for them. And I think, like I said, I can size a classroom up in five minutes. And I think students can mm-hmm. do. When they, that first impression as a teacher, that first day is very important. They're either going to love you or it's like, oh, I don't know about this person. And um, <laughs> for schools to, to be better, the environment within the class also has to change. One of the things I admire about Chris is, is, is his love of students that he developed. Um, his lesson plans revolving. Yeah, yeah, he's got the curriculum, but he's also keeping all the different students in mind. I mean, where he's teaching is a very eclectic um, situation, students from all different mm-hmm. backgrounds. Um, my only 
different backgrounds I had was like my first couple of years of teaching on the island of Guam where I had a, a, a like it was like little mini United Nations. I had a variety of students from from basically all over the world stationed there. Mm-hmm. And um so I, I've taken that lesson from him how to make students really um fit in and, and, and feel part of your culture. I mean part of their culture, fitting it into your classroom, making everybody feel welcome mm-hmm. from day one to the last day. They'll tell you the last day of school yeah. I'm bawling my eyes out. It's, mm-hmm. it's like I don't want to let go. I don't want to let go. If you've been yeah. in my class five minutes or five years, you, uh, I'm going to love you and treat you the same love yeah. and admiration. Well, it's interesting uh-huh. that you say that because what you say you got from me about making students safe in the classroom mm-hmm. or feel welcomed, mm-hmm. I thought that I got that from you. So because mm-hmm. I thought, mm-hmm. you know, and you taught uh, mm-hmm. in eclectic environments as mm-hmm. well and super diverse classrooms in more recent years too. And again, your ability to make students feel at the center is something that I picked up from you. So I'm glad uh, we can kind of bounce that off one another. Mm-hmm. It's, it's tricky for me. There's so, so much that I want to say about, you know, where that, that passion. But I, I think passion is, is a good word because you do have to have mm-hmm. a passion for the job. You mm-hmm. do have to be able to, mm-hmm. to get up every day and, and push through. And it's tough and it's hard and there's a lot of difficulties associated mm-hmm. with it but if you do have the passion and because we have to work with so little as you were saying schools mm-hmm. are underserved they're underfunded and mm-hmm. dramatically students are lacking the uh, social support in many ways mm-hmm. counselors mm-hmm. Uh, therapists things mm-hmm. things of that nature the mm-hmm. social and emotional development so is is lacking in many ways in schools because it's not prioritized so in the classroom, there's so there's a lot of external factors that impact us. You have to fill in all the voids. Yeah, we have to fill in a lot of voids. And a, a counselor might be getting ready for the ACT test, and here's a kid with an emotional yeah. problem. That right. we mm-hmm. that that's when we would step in and fill in that void. So we'll let's talk at lunch. Let let's let's meet mm-hmm. after school. Right, mm-hmm. and I think that that takes a, a passion to be able to navigate so many situations every single day and i think also that can lead to teacher burnout or exploitation and in many ways we have to learn how to navigate that as well and if we can learn how to navigate that which it's not easy but i will say it's it can be an empowering experience Mm -hmm. to be in the classroom because we have the opportunity to empower students to empathize with students and in turn feel empowered by them so mm-hmm. I would say that passion can, can help teachers become better and more effective educators. And then as, as it turns, it's kind of like a cyclical uh, effect yeah. as, as you get better, your students appreciate it and mm-hmm. they get better. Mm-hmm. And then you can continue to build from there. Yeah, it's such a feedback loop, don't you yeah, think, teacher? And, and I love those aha, those aha moments. Mm-hmm. You know, aha, I got mm-hmm. it. You know, when, when you make, they yeah. make the connection I mean that that's so that's so rewarding. So rewarding. It is. It is. Mm-hmm. Chris, that's funny because when you started talking, I was like, I hope he'll say passion. <laughs> because that's exactly what I think of you and your puzzle piece. Mm-hmm. That's exactly what I think of. Yeah. Um, which is pretty awesome. Um, uh, by the way, we have to make sure that we link your TikTok account <laughs> to um, this webpage because your little history lessons are amazing and so many people i know use them so we have to make sure that and we i gotta that. give a plug to um, my students for that by the way i was making really long content do. videos during covid and i was you know 
And they were like, these are 10, 15 minutes long. And I was like, well, that's that's what we have to deal with. And then they started telling me about TikTok. And I was super, mm-hmm. at first I was like, absolutely not. I'm not getting on this app. And, <laughs> but they were bringing things from TikTok. And that's when I started exploring. And so it was really them that that pushed me to to get out there and, and make this content. So again, mm-hmm. with, without them, I wouldn't be doing that. And now students from across the so globe bad. can watch mini lessons to hopefully ignite that passion as well. So uh, I'm, I'm glad so you like them. <laughs> I love them. Um, do you all have a favorite song to uh, get ready for a day of teaching? Some people do and some people don't. I don't. Well, I taught world okay. history for, for a long, long time and I would play whatever we would learn. If I was doing the Roaring Twenties, I, I put a CD on Roaring Twenties. Um, world uh-huh. War II, That's I was fun. playing the World War II song, um, whatever. Um, you know, teaching civics. I was Bruce Springsteen, born in USA. And all. That and that would get me into um, that would get me into the um, to the mood. And I always, I'm just going to share this because this is kind of funny. I would always spray vanilla spray in my room. And um, mm-hmm. one student told me that you know when I went home to study for my world history exam, I went and bought some of that vanilla spray and sprayed my world history smell. I love that story. Oh my God, that's amazing. I even had Kristen Kelly, I even had Barbie dolls, used Barbie and Ken dolls. And no matter what I was teaching, if it was like the Stone Age, they were dressed in little cave outfits. If it was the French Revolution, oh I'd cut God. off Barbie's head via the guillotine. That's <laughs> what I had to really miss world. I had the best, best time. The best time. You did a good job of like balancing the structure every Uh day with also new and innovative ways to Mm -hmm. capture attention. And I think striking that balance is what what impacts uh, students the most. They knew they were coming into a structured place, Mm -hmm. but also they knew that there was going to be something unique there as well. And if I could give any advice to new teachers, hands on. It's nice to know the 10 reasons for the Roman Empire's decline, but they'll always remember Mm -hmm. that Roman banquet that they had. That you know, where they dressed mm-hmm. up and we stabbed Julius Caesar 39 times <laughs> <laughs> later in a grocery store. Remember when we killed Julius Caesar? You know, <laughs> the Roman Empire declined, but they'll remember that. So, do lots of hand, hands on activities, get them involved. That's mm-hmm. what they remember the field trips, not a lot of those facts. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Chris, what about you? Do you have a, a song and/or a, a quick tip takeaway? So no, I also don't have a song, but I do the same thing, by the way. I, I play the songs for the theme that I'm teaching. So, and Bruce Springsteen, mm-hmm. one in the USA, that's actually mm-hmm. one of the songs I play when I'm teaching about the Vietnam War. Mm-hmm. And we analyze mm-hmm. those lyrics because mm-hmm. it's one of the most commonly misinterpreted lyrics uh, today. It's, it's really, in many ways, mm-hmm. a critique. So I guess I got that from you. I never thought mm-hmm. about that. But that's, that's what I also do as well. And I, in terms of that's takeaways... I guess never forget your why. That's a huge reason. If I'm ever struggling or if I'm, you know, having a tough day, I always have to bring myself down to the why and remember. What's your purpose? Yes. What is your purpose? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And and Mm -hmm. that grounds me in many ways because Mm -hmm. at the end of the day, Mm -hmm. it's a selfless profession. It's not about us. It's about the people we are there to to serve, the students. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. at the same time, we do need to take care of ourselves. I don't want to make it seem like we're just you know, uh, martyrs or anything like that. Our mental health is is huge as well. So yeah, that's my biggest takeaway. Never forget your why. That's great. 
That's great. I love it. And in a future season, we're going to navigate this idea of how do how can we stay passionate without burning out. So we'll have you back and we can uh, we can talk about how you've done that because I think that's a really critical piece to our ability to be successful. Thank you both so much for being here. What a gift to have been spent my Sunday morning with you. Thank you so much. Thank you, Nicole. Yeah, we really appreciate it. Thank you. You're, I mean, this is a huge opportunity. I've learned so much from hearing from my mom. So this is, yeah, Yeah. this is awesome to be able to talk teaching with uh, two people who have helped me throughout my uh, teaching career. Yeah, what a gift. Thank you both. Thank you for sharing your precious time with us. My hope is it gave you some respite from your worries and some time to remember that we belong to one another and that there's no such thing as other people's children. If you enjoyed the show, please rate, review, and subscribe. These three things make a big difference in our ability to connect teachers to one another in service to each other and our kids. We also want to thank Dirt Path Publishing for partnering with us on this podcast. The mission of Dirt Path is to publish work for social good. They are proud to include copy room conversations under that banner. For more information on coaching and editing services, or if you have a book you want to publish that you know will serve the greater good, visit dirtpathpublishing.com.